Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill. And this week on the show, we'll focus on how Gamblers Anonymous helps problem gamblers. Today, because of coronavirus restrictions, I'm interviewing from home via Zoom. So I'd like to welcome Chris to the show. Hi, Chris. Hey, Bill. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, Chris is a compulsive gambler, and he's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, Before we start, uh, maybe you can share how COVID-19 restrictions have impacted Gambling Anonymous meetings. What's it like now? Yeah, I think there's a lot of questions early on. Uh, about what we would do and you know we've um, managed to get a bit of a pattern though with zoom and it's actually working out quite well i mean there's a meeting every single night um that's fantastic you get a few international people jumping on board as well and i've actually found them to be you know quite useful and obviously during this time getting on the phone list is is important as well yeah okay thanks uh well the the format is we usually start talking about growing up and the things that influenced you and um, I guess anything that you think is sort of relevant to what led you to being a gambler. So what, what was life like for you growing up? Yeah, for me, one of these things, you know, I've gambled for, for or I've had the problem for t- over 20 years. So you do reflect a lot on the early years and, and go through it with a fine tooth comb. Um, for me, largely my family life was extraordinarily um, middle class and, and normal. Um, you know, grew up with my mum and dad living at, at uh, a home, uh, as I said, sort of middle school class, I had a sister, and I didn't really have too many signs early on. One I, one of I didn't reflect is when I was about sort of 10 or so, I, I got addicted to a certain computer game. And during that time, I remember taking some money from my mum and having a level of compulsion um, at that time to, to do those things. Um, and that lasted for a period of time, but then you fast forward and to be honest, I didn't have any further inklings about addiction at all until I gambled on my, my 18th birthday. So I, I wasn't exposed to, to gambling when I was younger. I didn't have a father or an uncle or anything like that that, um, that gambled. I always loved sport. And I also always loved um, numbers as well. So I remember as a kid being excited when I was in about grade three or four about doing long division. And it was like a Saturday or something and me and a friend were doing long division. We were very excited about doing long division. (laughs) And so you do reflect on that and think that's odd, right? Yeah. Doesn't necessarily lead you to a gambling addiction, but nevertheless, there was those sort of, some of those sort of little indicators earlier on that I might, have a propensity to um, to like those sort of things and part of gambling, certain forms of gambling about numbers and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and in the early stages, that's what maybe drew me to it. Okay. So what about um, relationships and friendships in primary school and secondary school? Was that, would you consider that normal? Yeah, very normal. Um, for me, I think that when you're in schooling, you know, it's very much up and down period when you're growing up and going through teenage years and all those sort of things. But, you know, I always had friends and I've still got those friends today. So the people that I um, went to high school with, I still, you know, I was talking to one earlier 
today and um you know we're still good friends with all the, all those sort of people sort of over 20 years now on um however things really started deteriorating for me uh, mentally when i was in year 11 um and for no sort of particular reason year 11 and year 12 were very difficult years for me so sort of said to, before to people on paper they were the best years in terms of i was doing extremely well at school i used to run every day i used to participate in sports i had plenty of friends but mentally i'd piled on a lot of pressure um, to myself that that pressure it was all internal pressure. I had no pressure from my parents to achieve or anything like that. There was a lot of internal pressure on me. So what do you think caused that? Why did you feel inadequate? What was the, what was the basis? Uh, you know, I'm not real, really sure, you know, we'll blame it on society as a whole. Huh? <laughs> we'll try that. Like, I'm not quite sure um, what it was, but w what I know is that I wanted something external to make myself feel good about myself okay and eventually i started getting some of those things eventually i started winning some running races doing okay at sport girls noticing me and in year 11 i ducked year 12 economics and i ducked year 12 legal studies and i remember getting those results in and parents got out the champagne for the first time and um I remember crying that 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 January when the results came out because I knew it wasn't it didn't fill fill that void of what I was looking for. Yeah, I was still not happy within myself externally. Everyone would have saw someone that was travelling well, but internally that wasn't the case. And why was that? Do you think? You know, to this day I don't quite know. I do know that there's a few. I do know that there's a few mental health problems running in my family, but nothing too dramatic on the, on the whole. But to this day, I don't quite know. But having said that, I don't quite know how an iPhone works, and, and that's quite complicated. Yeah. And a human brain is much more complicated than an iPhone. Yeah. So I don't probably spend too much time on it, but I've thought about it for a long period of time, and I'm not quite sure necessarily all the reasons why. But I know that in the end I became that person and that became quite difficult and ultimately I um, was suicidal and I had to leave school um, halfway through, through year 12 because of that. You're very competitive. Did your competition bring you in conflict with people? No, it didn't actually too much to be honest. I was yeah. competitive, that's true. But I was a friendly competitor and I was a funny sort of person, I suppose. I mean, I had a lot of really good friends and I didn't take things too serious, I suppose, in terms of competing with other people. Yeah. But with myself and the standards I set for myself, those were quite high standards. And yeah. I was very competitive within myself. Yeah. Okay. Did you seek help for you know your suicidal thoughts and your high expectations? Yeah. Yeah, I, I did early early on I uh, eventually came clean to dad about where, how I was thinking and I started to, to, you know, pick up knives and this and that and that wasn't ideal. I, I do remember going to a psychologist um, at a hospital and basically being told it was normal was the general gist and he talked to me about his sons and how it was sort of normal to go through these sort of 
things. And I was probably a little bit guarded being a 17-year-old back then. I probably, maybe I also sugarcoated a few things at the time. Because yeah. I didn't want to think that I was different or that I was in a serious situation. Yeah. But a couple of months after that, then things got, got quite serious. So how did that, what raised the level of seriousness? I had a serious attempt at the time. I tried a couple of things over a, a couple of days where I was missing and and things didn't work out. You know, I was ultimately hospitalised because of physically what I tried to, to have done and spent a bit of time, you know, just a couple of nights on a ward, a psychiatric ward. And, you know, during that time, tried to come back to, to school over, over the next couple of months. But it wasn't really meant to be. And so I, I would end up doing sort of schooling at home. But I would have constant, constant suicidal thoughts. I do remember, though, starting to get, I was put on antidepressants for the first time. And I do remember it being quite a strange um, feeling about not being able to escalate as highly as I could have before. Okay. So what was your trigger to start gambling uh, when you're 18? It was my 18th birthday and um, at the time I wasn't seeing friends and sort of trying to take things easy because I was just finding um, my mental health problems a bit difficult. And uh, normally, I was very social prior to that. And I just thought, oh, what else are you going to do when you're 18 and you're not going to have a party? I'd... So I just went and um, gambled for the first time. So where, where'd you do that? So I ended up, I used to live a fair way from the city. Well, not a fair way, but 45 minutes, whatever. And I ended up going to the city and doing a few things and then going to the casino for the first time, which seemed like an exciting thing, as it does to, to most people who are 18. And lost some money. Took me about five minutes, ten minutes. Yeah. Didn't know what I was doing on a roulette table. It was terrible. And left. And thought, what was that all about? It was weird. And um, and I went back the next day to a local TAB. So what sort of things did you gamble on at the TAB? So in the early days, very much around greyhound racing which I'm always loath to admit because I know that people don't really hold, hold it in high esteem. But for me, you know, greyhound racing is a lot about numbers. Yep. And also obviously about the dogs themselves. And as I said, I always used to love numbers when I was uh, younger and, and dogs as well. So I used to get right into to that and, and gamble on that. And then also a little bit on, on harness horses and, and, um, and the thoroughbreds as well. Yeah. So were you a, a form guide sort of person? Yeah, early on I was. I used to print them out and go through them and get a highlighter out and all sorts of stuff. And over the years, you, you gave that up because you never used to follow the plan anyway. Um, <laughs> became a bit, yeah, became a bit silly and you'd, you'd always sort of get, it, get annoyed because the compulsion would, would kick in. So you'd go off, off script a fair bit. But I used to write down what I would do for a few years and and I knew probably the names of various different greyhounds, probably a couple hundred greyhounds or whatever, it would have been like useless information and um, and go go down that path, yeah. Yeah. So did you apply science to it? Was that part of your mathematics spent? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And in the early days there's a level to it that was had a level of enjoyment to it. 
like had a level of it being a hobby you know yeah. I, I was compulsive from day one and I can I confessed or came out to my parents within the first nine months but but I um yeah there was a level that I quite I enjoyed that that aspect of it that just that greyhound yeah okay did you actually go into the TABs in those days yeah back then like online wasn't really a thing at all um, a little bit of phone betting, but as a general rule, it was all going to the TAB. You know, probably be there five days a week, I would have thought, or so. Maybe about, I think about three or four years ago, I hadn't been in that TAB for, like, because I moved house. I hadn't been there for, like, eight, 18 years, I don't reckon. I hadn't seen this person for 18 years. And I bumped into him three or four years. And that's the only time we'd ever, I'd ever seen was in the TAB, and he recognised me straight away. <laughs> from an 18, 19 year old kid and then I was there, I was like 35 and he told me what my name was and all that kind of stuff and it's embarrassing to be honest yeah. <laughs> to know people from that long ago but anyway that was that was that yeah so were other things going on in your life that affected you that, that um, pushed you towards more gambling you know I, I, I tend to think that I was always going to gamble because some of it was in in my makeup so when i reflect on that i tend to think there was a lot of things in my makeup that was probably gave me that propensity to do that my dad had a serious accident shortly after my 18th birthday only a week after and obviously usually 18th birthday is the first time i made a bet so that accident left him in hospital intensive care for three months he ended up in hospital for about nine months and um and he ended up being having a permanent disability and so that period of time sort of solidified the problem, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, mentally, I was struggling, suicidal thoughts all the time. Father was in, in hospital and, and didn't think I could go through with it while I was in intensive care and maybe partially of the way out was to escape through, through gambling. Yeah, I often hear gamblers talk about it being a sort of a a safe zone it's it's somewhere that where they can forget all their problems so is that how it, how you experienced it yeah 100 percent. you was completely immersed when i was in a venue i didn't have to think about anything else in life i didn't have to think about you know being the suicidal kid from my school and what that meant and the failures about that i didn't have to think about the mistakes i'd made in my life didn't have to think about all that internal pressure that I had put onto myself. I didn't have to think about a future and what that would look like for me. So it was yeah. very much about escaping and getting away from me. Okay. Uh, well, listen, we might take a uh, short break there. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe everyone. dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law.
tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or you can just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. Alternatively, you can just call the 3CR office on 94198377 and leave us a message. Today I'm talking about compulsive gambling with Chris and he's a member of Gamblers Anonymous. So Chris, sort of getting out of high school, what was it like starting work with a gambling problem? Yeah, I think it was sort of a, um, is it a means to an end? Maybe that's the sort of feeling as well. I mean, when you, when you were an 18 year old kid and you start to earn money, whatever that money is, it's a lot of money because you're not used to working full time. And I started to work full time and earning a wage. I was meant to be going to university as well, but I found that increasingly hard. I couldn't concentrate and I would gamble during that time. And also I didn't want to be away from work because that meant I wouldn't earn money and that impacted on, on my gambling as well. So subsequently, I think I dropped out of uni three or four times. So did that mean that you finished uni or you didn't finish uni? No, I didn't, I didn't finish uni. I, I have gone back, um, which has been great. Um, but at the time, I ended up, yeah, not finishing at all. I think I've got a few subjects out the way. I remember going to one exam where I think maybe I went to one class and being in the exam room. Lo and behold, that Caulfield race course, by the way, which is always a good venue for a gambler, and um, just sitting there going, what, what am I doing? So I had to defer a few times, um, and I never, never completed that course. Okay. So did did gambling impact on your work as far as your your concentration or did you did you need need work to gamble? Yeah, so a bit of both. I mean, partially it makes you work harder because you're always in financial difficulties. So there's a level that 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 drives you, but you're always inefficient as well because of the thoughts going through your head about what you've done. Um, and about wanting to gamble and about sometimes gambling at lunch times and all those sort of things as well. So it, it, it is hard to balance anything normal in life when you have an addiction. And obviously work has always been in that boat. I've always worked extremely hard. And that is a problem in itself. Because when I've worked hard at times, I've, well, I've always sort of come out with nothing. I've worked really hard, maybe even 60, 70 hours a week and had big holes in my shoes and filled up the car with $4 of petrol because of, of gambling. Yeah. Uh, so did you sort of run the multiple credit cards and loaning money off people? What, what's it like to have that much? Uh, I, I just can't conceive it myself, but what's it like to have that uncontrolled debt, if you like? Yeah, it's hard and, and, and the gambler's mind will sort of push some of that into the background, but eventually you have to face it. 
and it, and you may go for a period of time thinking you're going to have a win and you're going to clear this debt and that debt and you're going to solve these problems but it's hard it always being there despite you working hard in your your job despite you always being employed despite the fact that you're not spending your money on anything it's not like you can point something and say oh he was had a really nice car or he spent money on this or he spent money on that and he had a nice car i didn't have anything sort of to show for that debt or that hard work and you're always thinking and lying to other people such as your partners had um, serious relationships and you're, you're always essentially cutting corners on on the truth that you're telling yeah um, and the truth that you're telling to yourself to be honest that's the thing like sometimes in those areas sometimes you thought you're telling the truth but you probably weren't because you don't even know the truth yourself no that's that's part of denial isn't it the fact that you 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 can't see it yourself you, you can't let yourself see it yeah the truth is yeah. too hard to bear yeah yeah 100 percent, and it is and over a period of time gambling you feel you do feel better like if i might as well be in denial you know or i might as well not think about it or face reality at times but reality always comes back to you at some stage it's just about how much interest it's got on at times i think yeah um, so it must have impacted your relationships terribly so was it the reason to end most of your relationships your gambling i think uh, indirectly is sort of the answer to that and, and what i mean by that is that um it's not like a big thing happened and that was it or I've never given an ultimatum. But the emotional side of it is so taxing on my former partners and it was so taxing on me too. I hated, absolutely hated having to confess all the time about the bad things I'd done with gambling. Really hated it. And it's really taxing for the other, other individual and it grinds a relationship into nothing eventually yeah. so it wasn't that those relationships ended like like that but it it ended in dust yeah that makes sense yeah so what about your parents how did they initially react when you admitted to them that your gambling was a problem you know i think I, some people come a little bit later but i started gambling on the 18th birthday and i came clean just before my 19th birthday from memory so i had only done sort of nine months or so and at the time we thought we'll solve this problem, you know? And, and as I mentioned before, I was good at school, good at what I call linear subjects, so good at solving things. So thought this was another problem that you would think out, think through and you'd solve and you'd get a psychologist or a counselor or whatever it was and work through things to, to solve. So in the initial stages of me coming out to my parents, it wasn't a huge issue, but they would live this journey with me for a long, long time. And, it, and, and that has been hugely taxing as well. Yeah. So how long have you gambled now? So it's over 20 years, uh, 21 years fundamentally. And, um, uh, you know, my father passed away, um, a while back, but my mum has still seen the effects of gambling. In the, in the last couple of years, not not more recently, but, but two or three, three years ago, four years ago, still aware of it. And sometimes people are aware of it because I, I talk and it's 
apparent and it's and it's those sort of things and sometimes it's just a emotional moodiness of being a compulsive gambler yeah okay so what sort of help was available to you 20 years ago yeah back then it was a program the government had called break even um which they named because it wasn't the world's greatest name at the end of the day in terms of gamblers and how they think about chasing <laughs> money um but that's what it was back then and they called it gamblers help i believe and i believe it's still gamblers help now so i ended up going there for a bit on and off probably for three years saw a number of counselors there saw a number of um later, later years and private psychologists and getting mental health plans psychiatrists i've seen a couple of psychiatrists over the time as well um, a couple of hypnotherapists i've seen and um, also been on medication prescribed by doctors to, to see whether or not they would suppress some of the urges it's been a whole journey of 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 looking for answers some other person that i was seeing for two hour sessions that was charging sort of 350 dollars an hour that was uh, not an hour but for, for the session that was um, interesting itself i was desperate for answers you know and as i said before i was desperate to find the ultimate solution you know the silver bullet that kind of stuff to make it all complete sense and completely take away um my addiction so did any of those work? They were all extraordinarily limited. And when I mean limited, I'd be lucky if I could get a month off. And that, that's really hard in itself. It's hard to be in addiction and not want to be in addiction. It is even harder to be trying to actively stop the addiction and not having success. Yeah. So what did you do to try and stop it? What are some of the things? So there was various things I did, and, and one of the stupid things, not stupid, but you're desperate. So you see all those people, whatever it was, the 10 psychologists, 15 psychologists and counsellors and psychiatrists and all those sort of things, and then you start doing strange things yourself. And one of the strange things I did in a way was I thought, if well, it's not strange, you're desperate. So I thought if I can't, can't beat them, I might as well join them. So I, I, be, I began working at Crown Casino as a dealer, and, and I thought, maybe that would help my problem. Other times I had this stupid idea. I remember when I was young, I thought it's it's because you do think it's just about losing sometimes. I just need to win more. I won more and taught myself how to win more. Maybe that maybe that's the issue, you know? And so one day I thought, well, maybe if you just ate every like losing ticket that you lost, maybe that would teach you not to bet on the wrong things. And that's absurd. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> You're completely illogical, but at times you became, you were at times in a very illogical position and a very desperate position, banning myself at various different venues, various different loan people, rah, 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 all those sort of things as well. Having other people control my money, which I think is a good thing, a positive thing. It's not going to solve the problem, but I think it's a very good thing. Those sort of things as well. Yeah. Okay. The process of admitting to people that you've done it. Uh, that you've gambled when you said you wouldn't must be pretty hard. So does it get harder the further you go? Yeah, I think it does. And I think, I think it's really one of these things that completely demoralizing and perplexing and all those sort of things. It's um, yeah. It, and, it, and it doesn't get any easier at all because you cannot believe that you're here again even though you've been in that same position for 15 or 20 years you can't believe that you're here again because you've hurt so many other people and you've hurt yourself 
um, not so many other people, I should say, but the people closest to you, you've really hurt and you do love those people and it's not about them at all, but you hurt them and you hurt yourself and you just cannot believe that you're continuing to do this. So do you get that feeling that what you're doing is inexplicable? Yes, 100%. But two hours ago or four hours ago when I decided to gamble, it was extraordinarily explicable. I had seven to ten reasons why I should gamble in my head. Could have written an essay on why I should gamble on that day. It's extremely logical. It extremely made sense. It didn't make any sense to miss out on gambling on that day. I was going to lose money because I was a guaranteed winner. I was an adult, so why wouldn't I do it? Who else could tell me what to do? It's fine. I'm not going to gamble that much money anyway. All these sort of reasons were always there. It was a stressful day, so I should gamble. It was a really exciting day, and I'd just done something really good, so I should be able to celebrate. All, all those sort of things were the reasons, and I'd always have that sort of dialogue. And then at the end of it, I, I realised what reality was. The reality was I'd been trying to give up gambling for 15, 20 years, and it was the most damaging thing in my life. And all those things sound ridiculous when you tell somebody. <laughs> None of that is logical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's logical. Yeah. So you've gambled for, for 20 years. Um, you've probably been working for about that long. So did the people you work with know that you were gambling? Did they understand you had problems? No. Um, I think gambling's, I think you can, you can keep it from people a lot more. I sort of say sometimes nobody knew I gambled, but everybody knew I gambled. And what that means is I didn't tell a lot of people. I did tell some people from work. Um, I did tell people that were very close to me. But when I mean that everybody knew is, is the mood swings that sort of went with that at times with friends and those sort of things that maybe one day I was, I was great and then other days I wasn't and there was no rhyme or reason to it. But in the background, obviously, there was almost, you know, this second life to some yeah. extent. Yeah. So what did your colleagues think when you told them that you had a gambling problem? What was their reaction? You probably only tell people that you really knew because you knew that coming out was was bad uh, um so you'd only 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 certain people you'd tell that maybe that you were very close with to begin so people that you known for years perhaps or you know at least sort of six to 12 months and they sort of understood maybe addiction or certain things if that makes sense but i'm really reluctant i haven't i haven't i don't tell a lot of people at the end of the day i do tell some people that i'm closest to work but but as a whole, now I'm able to separate that, I suppose. But in the early days, there were, were times where, you know, you felt best to come clean um, with people, even though it wasn't necessarily affecting or there was any direct relationship with work, but it was sort of relevant to, to how you felt at the time and what you're trying to go through. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, listen, we might take another break there. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. 
Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you yours. to all What's of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The bigger the reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcast and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here, and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 Community Radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR Digital and Streaming and Podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, digital radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Chris about recovering from a compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, so Chris, you heard about GA a long time ago. So what was, what was your early exposure to GA and, and how did you find it? I really don't, don't know. I've thought about it a fair bit. I'm not quite sure. I think I made a phone call a long time ago, about 17 years ago or so, to GA and I found a meeting in Paran and it would have been, you know, sort of 15 people or so that I went there and I remember thinking it was it was one of the more ex- amazing experiences of my life, to be honest. I'd been living with addiction for three or four years and I thought I was kind of the only one and unique. And then when they read the yellow book and then when people shared, even though a lot of people were a lot, obviously a lot older than me, um, and had different stories, but the, the message was quite clear and I'd, I'd found something quite unique that I felt. How long did you stay at GA initially? You know, sort of not long enough is maybe the answer, but um, it was probably about three or four years, I think, and then I think I might have had six to 12 months off and then I think I maybe did another three or four years. And I got some, some time off at some stage. I think I had um, nine months off another stage maybe six months off at one stage i remember doing sort of 90 meetings in 90 days which is a fine thing there's no problems in in doing that but i think for me to be honest part of that and looking reflecting back on 
some of my behaviours in my 20s when I was at, uh, at GA, Gamblers Anonymous, was trying to solve my problem. Um, and I think that's perfectly logical too, by the way, that in my life, I had normally solved problems, yeah? It, or in my schooling, as I sort of mentioned, I was good at sort of linear subjects, things that had answers to it, if that makes sense. So I was always trying to find solution in my work as well. It was about finding solutions as well. And then you move on to the next problem, right? And I knew I had a complicated problem, but I always thought that there was maybe a solution for that. A single solution? A single solution, yeah, that yeah. you would cure yourself. Yeah, like, you know, like you've got a broken leg and then you don't. Like, it's more, more complicated, but that's, that's in my head what I yeah. thought it would be. Maybe that's what I wanted it to be. And that's certainly not, not what it is. Yeah. So how did you cope with not being able to give up gambling in Gamblers Anonymous? Yeah, it becomes really taxing at times um, because you feel that you're also failing with other people in the group. And at times it's certainly okay to talk about busting, but other times when, you, when you've done it five times, in, in, the last, in, in a three months period or whatever it might be, it becomes really um, difficult, very difficult, and you can't quite see the light to, to some of that. And then you sort of maybe also potentially throw the baby out with a bathwater as well, that you want to scrap everything and start again, because that wasn't the right answer, so I must be needing to do this. Whereas Gambler's Anonymous, and 12-step programs, very simple. In, in, in Gambles and Oz, we talk about page 17. I mean, it's like eight points, and it's very straightforward um, yeah. at the end of the day. But as an individual, I wanted to overcomplicate it at times and find the definitive answer, and it's not there. Yeah. And the, the book's very clear about that, like very clear. But at times, I did not want to listen to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the AA saying is... Um uh, it's a simple program for complicated people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same, same thing in, in, in GA. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so did you, did you get a sponsor and try and get some help? Early on I did. Early on I had a, um, a sponsor as well and did some work on the steps and those sort of things. Step four and that kind of stuff. But again, I think for me it was it's a come back a little bit sometimes with that too as well of doing the steps and then I'll get to Nirvana as well or then I'll solve the problem that way as well. Um, and again, that's not my understanding of the program whatsoever at the, now, but I think back then there was that sort of feeling as well. Our oh, steps is like a step to the final solution. You know what I mean? You do the 12 things and then you're done. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's, it's about understanding yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not life, just yourself. Coming back, then you've left, you've left GA. You've been out of GA for a while, sort of coming back in and out. So, what's it like to come back? Oh, it's great. It's amazing. It's hard, it's hard to sort of describe in a way. I didn't want to come back at all. I was skeptical. I had you know, some encounters, as I mentioned, maybe 10 to 15 psychologists. Sometimes I started getting the impression that, you know, by admitting that you've got a 
problem, therefore you're reinforcing that you've got a problem, therefore you have the problem and that kind of psycho sort of stuff, analysis, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I was skeptical to an extent of the program and I was like, eh, you know, but the truth of it, I've gone 20 years and outside of the program, I probably only got a month or two off tops. And within the program, I'd got that nine months and that six months off. Yeah. So the logical component, why don't you just give it another go? Yeah. Right. And, but I still didn't want to go necessarily, but I went and it's been amazing since because today I have something that I didn't have. And that was clarity of mind. Like I went in, like a lot of people go in for fixing up the financial reasons and also the relationship reasons that I had with my partner and a few other things, but you don't realize how mentally bad you are because you are until you start to, to, to recover a bit. Yeah. And still, until you talk to other people about it and get it straight, that it's just, it's just not logical. It's just doesn't hold water, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing. That's what I found in, in my own recovery that, talking to other people, I could get my problem in it in perspective that I couldn't get just rolling around through in my head, but talking to somebody else, I could go, Oh yeah, I can, yeah, I get it now. I can see what, what my actions were causing my problems, not my problems were causing my actions. Yeah. So there's a vicious cycle that you're going yeah. through. Yeah. And as one member says to me, like, also you're trying to solve a sick mind with a sick mind. Yeah. And, and that stuck <laughs> out with me, you know, um, and it's a good thing. So I don't try to solve my problems nowadays, which is good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in desperation, you came back. Um, so what's it been like now? I think you said you've been in for about a year. So what's, what's the latest? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. I've been back just over a year. I've been getting close to 18 months. I had sort of six months up after I walked in the door, which is amazing for me. Then after that, I had a bust and it was because I wasn't doing certain things. I really needed to go to a second meeting and I wasn't doing that. And I wasn't also using the phone list as well. And those were the two things that I really needed to, to change. And, and I did have a rough couple of months busting, probably two months, three months. And then I've now just over six months since, since my last bet. Okay, so how has have GA members helped you stay in GA? Uh, they tell the truth, like the real truth. Like sometimes I used to think I was telling myself the truth, but I didn't necessarily know it. And as I mentioned before, it's hard when you're in addiction. You do have um, fundamentally some weird things of strange things of thinking about things, illogical, completely illogical, even though I am a logical person. So when you talk to other members, they can give you that, that logic and that reality as well on whatever given day that is. And I don't know what the issue might be for that day or where you are with that, but they speak and you can talk to somebody and you can tell the proper true reality of, of where things are at. So how has being in GA and uh, being clean helped your relationship or your relationships? You know, it's really hard, again, think, it's hard to describe how good things are, are when you stop. 
um, and how much different they are. Because it's like two different people is what my partner say would say. And it's like two different worlds as well. And you can, you can have uh, normality as well. And I know that we like don't often like to talk about what's normal and you're a normal person and all those sort of things. But I used to do some very unnormal things, you know, and to be able to just to be normal and enjoy a cup of tea or coffee or sun or, or my daughter or whatever it might be and just enjoy the small things and just the, the, the relationship that I have um, is fantastic. And obviously for my partner, like, you do realize when you when you get a bit of clarity and time off how much damage you've done. You always knew that you were doing damage, but you didn't, you couldn't completely comprehend it. And so when you get a bit of time off and understand that and how hard that that was on my partner is is difficult, but it's great, and I'm extremely grateful that I don't. I'm not in that world. So has it lessened your anxiety? You like. You've got no idea like how much how much anxiety you sort of had or or going through and how much self-loathing and hate you had for yourself as well always sort of thinking oh, why do i keep on doing this to my partner to myself it's really like a different different world you know you can really just focus on on life as it is my life is up and down as everybody's life is there's good things and bad things, but you can deal with the bad things and you can enjoy the good things. And I could never enjoy the good things when I was gambling, never, because there was always there was always something more important that was gambling and going on in the background. The bad things associated with gambling and the time that gambling took away from me and all those sort of things. So it was, it was impossible to enjoy those good times, and now I can. Yep. So the, the other thing people are sort of interested in is about gambling is that gamblers often say they don't, they don't gamble for the money. It's not, a, it's not necessarily about the money. So can you explain that not about the money? Yeah, I think your, your mind always tells you it is, and, and it's definitely not. But your mind, it's one of the things that your mind does use to gamble, and it's completely illogical. But you might, may have had debts to or bills to pay you couldn't because of gambling and your mind will tell you well here's one way to get money and away you go um so often there's a narrative in your head that it is about money and that you do need to make up for what you've lost and all this kind of stuff but um the reality is obviously that when you do get that money and it's natural in gambling that you're going to win at times that's natural and at natural, you always got this target in your head often to, oh, just stop if I get this. And sometimes you do get to that money target. And then sometimes you even get to the next money target, but you will always create another target, another target. So it very much feels like it's about money. That's for sure. But at the end of the day, you know that, um, and when you get a bit of clarity, you realise it's about escapism, largely for me personally. That's probably the main sort of driver underlying driver if that makes sense yeah. there's a number of things there's 15 positive reasons of why i should gamble that my mind will will falsely tell me okay well if anybody's out there who'd like to find out more about gamblers anonymous uh you can find them in victoria on 03 9696 6108 
or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information or to get local phone numbers or uh, details of meetings. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank um, Chris for sharing his gambling recovery story, story with us. Thanks, Chris. No problems, Phil. Join us again next week when we'll feature recovery from compulsive drinking and we'll be joined by Kerry from Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening and stay tuned now for more great shows on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, to take us out, we've got a song called The Parting Glass by Cara Dillon off her Hill of Thieves album. Of all the money that I had, I've spent it in good company, and all the harm that I've done, alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done for want of wit To memory now I can't recall So fill to me the parting glass Good night and joy be with you Of all the comrades that e'er I've had They are sorry for my going away And all the sweethearts that e'er I've had They would wish me Good night, dear.